Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Analytic Assist with me, Dr. Shauna G., where you hear me interview an expert or experts on their work that is somehow related to energy, and probably a few things outside of that, because this is about the science, but it's also about making the science relatable. Hello, and welcome to the Analytic Assist. This is episode three, and we're going to continue um, somewhat on what we were talking about in episode two, where I was talking to Anna, who is a cardiac intensive care nurse, and she hit on the idea of um, metabolic demand and talking about how each of us have a baseline need as far as energy, meaning that you know, even when we're hanging out and we're, we don't have much activity happening, our body demands energy. And she talked about uh, focusing on children, what happens when that goes wrong. So in this episode, we're talking to Liz Harvey. Thank you for coming on here, Liz. It's lovely. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Liz, Liz. So quick introduction to Liz. Liz is a fitness trainer. And she has expertise in nutrition. She is an educator, I would say. We'll touch on that a lot more on how you really work to educate your clients, uh, people who work with you to meet their fitness and lifestyle goals, and how all of that ties into metabolism and effective use of energy to achieve a, a goal right? Would you say that's a fair description? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Liz, I gave a brief introduction to you, but no one could introduce you like you. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about, um, what, what, what's your, uh, background? Okay. So what brought you to fitness to start off with? What was the draw? So We'll take it back. We'll take it back to, I'd say, middle school. Um, super active with sports. Um, had parents that were very encouraging of extracurricular activities, not just for college resumes, but to get us out of the house. <laughs> right? Get so, outside, child. <laughs> there was no TV during the week. It was, you know, imaginary friends or go kick around a soccer ball or build a fort. So it's been ingrained in my upbringing for a very long time. And then that transitioned into high school. And then of course, you know, college where it became, I'd say more prevalent in, in a routine aspect was freshman year of college. It's like, okay, <laughs> uh, so I'm not gonna be playing sports, intramural and the, the dynamic needs to shift because at a very early age, the discipline to do something to move the body was naturally ingrained because I had, like I said, super encouraging parents. So freshman year of college was probably when things really started to, to pivot in a different direction. Um, and not only that, my, my degree is in music. So I, my heart was set on being a professional singer and A-list here you know, uh, house singer. So I pigeonholed myself. Liz is on YouTube. 
if you feel like talking about uh, what your YouTube channel is called, and you can hear her sing. It's incredible. Oh, thanks. Thanks. It's incredible. Um, I really appreciate that. So, so now the, the gears have shifted in terms of discipline, right? It's not only do I need to work on my craft, which is singing, which takes an enormous amount of time in a practice studio, but I also, in freshman, you know, as a freshman, I don't want to gain this freshman 15. I want to continue to keep my body active, but also teach other singers that they don't need to be this stereotypical Wagnerian singer, 200 plus pounds on stage. Um, and so that was really important to, as I'm learning the pedagogy of singing, all of the intrinsic muscles in my throat, learning about posture, learning about diaphragm, learning about foods that are going to fuel me through a workout, but then also fuel me for performances because most operatic performances are anywhere from two to four hours, depending on the composer. I mean, all of that in a nutshell is taking energy. Talk about right? stamina. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so the, the driving force was really to maintain physically an image that I had of myself that I knew was healthy for my body type and to continue that path. Now, I will tell you, uh, many friends would get very frustrated with me because I would be on a treadmill working on my breathing techniques <laughs> and not in the cafe eating dinner with them. So I had a lot of friends that didn't understand it, but it didn't bother me because I knew early on that I needed to get this down because if I started a fitness routine much later in my 20s, 30s, um, that it would be much more difficult. Um, and I... One thing that just keeps popping into my head is just, you know, basic physics, you know, energy is neither created or destroyed. Um, but just things that are put in, things that are put in motion continue to stay in motion. And I think that's why, not to go on a tangent, but that's one of the difficulties that a lot of people in their 20s and 30s struggle with. It's, you know, they, they think that they're, youthful metabolisms, which we'll get into a little later, um, will continue throughout mid to late 20s and in, in their 30s. And so I always encourage people to continue through college. I think that's a great way to, to a great, you know, starting point is, is kids that are getting into college, not only for their physical health, but also mental and emotional health. So needless to say, after college, you know, starving artist. Uh, and so, of course, as, a, as an opera singer, that's a, a very difficult path mentally and emotionally. And I really got into fitness training probably around 23. I'd already had a trainer because at post-college, I was like, well, how am I going to continue this? Let's, let's keep educating oneself. Let's really hire some trainers that are experts in the field and let's get a feel for this. And when I really started honing in on Olympic lifting and bodybuilding, that's where, again, another gigantic pivot came. Um, and, the, and then the interest of competing in bodybuilding uh, started. Um, so simultaneously, I had the singing career along with uh, a heavy interest in 
educating myself and my body, what I couldn't do, what I needed to work on, um, because there really was no, I can't do this. It's, well, I'm going to try. And if I don't like it, then I don't like it. Mm-hmm. So I, I gravitated towards bodybuilding mesocycles because that's something that I enjoy. I like picking up heavy things and dropping them. <laughs> or I like watching my body change the musculature. So physically, it wasn't necessarily about dropping you know, weight on a scale because I knew, I knew from the research that I had done, you know, cells are regenerating, they're redeveloping, the body is mutating every seven years, kind of like snakes shed their skin. I mean, our bodies are doing that too. So I wasn't, I wasn't naive to the fact that my body was going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I paid attention in biology class and I paid attention in chemistry. Uh, chemistry, especially because I just I love 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 that. But um, where things I think for me really changed and it, it became a hundred percent fitness was in my late twenties. Um, spoiler alert: I was engaged like eight years ago, and so the 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 guy that I, was, life. I know we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. talk about emotional <laughs> mental. Oh God. Um, so I'd already had my CPT. I was already working with some collegiate athletes. I was already hosting boot camps. I was already writing nutrition programs and still working with coaches. And I cannot emphasize this enough. As a trainer, we are foolish to think that the CPT or the nutrition certs stop there. Continuing education is so crucial. And I, I tend to you know, put my money and effort and energy into experiential learning. So I am hiring and doing my due diligence and research and hiring some of the best coaches um, that I can, because newsflash, we don't know everything. And so we- It's quite a concept for us, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And it, it, but it's, I think that's humbling for a lot of people because, you know, a lot of, in the fitness industry, there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of pride. And I think- there's a lot of self, self-awareness and actualization that needs to happen as fitness trainers because the industry is changing in terms of marketing and advertising, which we'll get into. You know, the, the we sure will. Influencers and all that garbage. Um, but so quick question in, in line with what you're saying and then yeah. back, back to what you're saying. Would you say that the certification, because I, I have found that in yoga and even graduate school, that took five years, but felt like forever. Um, it really ends up being just your base. Would you say that in fitness as well? And then from there, it's actually doing the job. And yes, investing in continuously educating yourself. Um, and it sounds like that's fair to say in the, in the fitness industry as well. Would you say that? 110%. Okay. 110%. It, not only, not only that, but how am I going to articulate movement patterns and articulate nutrition concepts if I myself have not experienced physically what, what the movements are, but also if I haven't tried these fad diets or I haven't experienced intermittent fasting or keto, 
why would I recommend something to someone when I can't speak intelligently about it? And that was something very, very important to me early on in terms of the education piece. It's easy to write all of these things based on someone's fitness goals and where they've been and where they want to go. But if I wasn't able to hone in on my experience and movement patterns and how it's supposed to feel, um, basically the, the method behind the madness, the science behind why we do what we do and how we do what we do, um, I would be no better than an ebook or a PDF that I can download on, on the internet. Right. Um, so it takes out the dynamic interactive piece to it, which, yeah, as you said, it's more, um, then it becomes one size fits all cookie cutter, which is ineffective. Totally ineffective. Totally ineffective. So, um, I lost my train of thought. Continuing education, super important. Um, but I think, I think for me where, where things really started to shift and I sort of realized that this was not only a passion. I mean, I love being around people. I'm an entertainer by trade. So um, my boyfriend right now likes to say I'm confetti that comes <laughs> into a room. Um, <laughs> if you will. And, and, and it is because there, there's, there's the theatrical element because I truly believe not only in terms of working out and creating energy and expending energy, but if we are beings of emotional energy, that is transferable. And that is something that is acutely innate in who I am that makes up my DNA. Um, I love being around people. I am a thousand percent an extrovert. Um, and I want people to feel comfortable immediately when they see me. So again, this idea of energy transfer to create an emotional connectivity is super important. Um, because nobody likes the drill sergeant who doesn't smile. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking people to work hard, if I connect to you, it's just human nature. I'm going to push harder and probably absorb more, retain more because I connect with you. And therefore what you're teaching me will ingrain itself deeper. Yep. Totally. And you know, that goes hand in hand with, you know, the experience from beginning, middle to end. Um, so as I'm down this fitness path, um, you know, my, my career has been really, really interesting. It's, it's something that I really fell into. It's not something that I chose, um, but I took a risk to do and I put dreams on hold. I deferred uh, an entire operatic career. Um, based on something that um, was similar in essence. You know, while I'm not really on stage performing, I am performing on turf. I'm performing on rubber floor and I'm doing it for a captivating audience because I have to command a room in order to make sure that people are safe, that people understand their movement patterns and they're doing it with gusto. Um, so there's projection involved, there's inflection, there's articulation, and all of that comes into th this grandiose production of what we call group fitness <laughs> or even one-on-one -on -one fitness. It's, it's this, it's gotta be the same dynamic. Um, 
So um, I owned my first with my uh, then ex-fiance, uh, owned a first brick and mortar, which was one of the best and worst experiences of my life. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things are, right? But, uh, you know. Learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. But I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about the type of people that I wanted to train. And I think that's, and I, I say that because it's really, really, really important. I also think as, as fitness professionals, whether you're a rookie, and a rookie I define as anyone that has less than five years of experience, because I really think it takes about three to five years to really hone in on the type of, of training you want to do, developing that style, and then marketing and advertising to a specific clientele. So brick and mortar, learned, learned highs and lows, right? So learned a lot about myself, but I also learned the types of clientele that I really wanted to train and that valued my principles and methodology as it pertained to fitness and nutrition and, and things like that. And, you know, I, I tell, I tell this to a lot of people, you know, a rookie trainer is anyone that has, you know, three to five years of experience, but, and, and the reason I say three to five is that it takes so much time, effort, energy to develop and hone your skills as a trainer, to be comfortable with tactile cues, verbal cues, nonverbal cues, but also finding the clientele that resonates with your style. And it just takes time. It time is on your side if, if this is a career path that you really want, right? And I started my career in with injury rehab, which I absolutely, to this day, just ugh, loathe. Um, <laughs> it's just not something, it's just not something that I have the patience for. Um, Interesting that that's where it started too. And then you realized immediately what you didn't what you didn't necessarily want to do I think that it it lessened the ability for me to be as energetic which is my normal self and it forced me to to really slow down um I mean it was great in terms of learning really honing in on um kinesiology and the physiology, um, injury rehab. I mean, it, it, there's just so much that the human body goes through. And what I ultimately learned is, <laughs> you know, trauma to the body is, is not this 24-hour process. Trauma to the body, depending on what the body undergoes, is lasting um, because there's emotional trauma involved. And so all this to say, um, where, where I really kind of focused my energy was, you know, being, being the trainer that set the mood, set the tone energetically, but also I, I liked the idea of training athletes. That's, that's where I, that's where I, you know, my seed was kind of like <laughs> planted and then flourished. And that across the board resonated with a lot of people. It wasn't, it wasn't synonymous with 20 year olds or 30 year olds. I mean, I, was also when I had the brick and mortar, I was training pre and post menopausal women who were losing 20 to 30 pounds. Wow. So the notion that the body, you know, 
can't change physically is, is false. Um, but the key components were a different, a different attitude towards training because, you know, I had to get them over the hurdle of lifting heavier weights and slowing their bodies down, but also 80% of the driving force was nutrition. So really learning and educating people in their forties and fifties, you know, yeah, your metabolism starts to slow down and start the decomposition phase in the thirties, but that doesn't mean you can't trick the body. We just need to figure out a caloric formula and energy deficit formula in order to achieve those results. Mm -hmm. So essentially energy, we need to, we need to rewire what's happening internally, but also increase what's, you know, increase what's happening in terms of like a neurogenesis aspect. So exercise is one of the only ways as we get older that increases, um, you know, the like neurogenesis and, and what that means, like the neurons in our brains, um, the energy transfer, you know, oxygen, nitrogen consumption, carbon consumption, all of this, all of this really cool shit that happens, but also hormonally, you know, the hormones don't change as much as we think when we get older. Yes, progesterone changes in women, testosterone, um, you know, estrogen, but cortisol really doesn't change <laughs> um, because cortisol is inflammation that we're, we're, we're doing to the bodies and that's always happening, right? Uh, higher levels are occurring based on the level of activity. So needless to say, I, I really kind of found a niche pairing up nutrition and, and fitness. And I have carried that out, I'd say the last I mean, I've been in the industry 13 years, but really sort of focused on this. And even in my own journey uh, with competing and being off stage and things like that, I'd say the last seven years has been pretty intense as it, as it pertains to nutrition and making sure that people are on the right track, but also making sure that people understand that working out can be a one size fits all deal. And we have to continue to create those long and short-term goals because the body can get stagnant. Yeah. Plateau. And I yep. think that's one of the most frustrating things about one's fitness journey um, is that plateauing happens rather quickly. Yeah. Um, and so then I guess, you know, that sort of evolved um, and, you know, and, and, and when it, going back to emotional trauma, you know, shit hit the fan, you know, with me personally. And, and that's when I ended up, that was the catalyst for me moving to Virginia. And, you know, I have continued that journey and that path. And the biggest difference in that transition was really understanding what emotional and mental trauma was. And so I have practiced more of that with my clients in the last eight years of living up, up here than anything. Um, and not to say I didn't do it in North Carolina where I was, but through my own, um, you know, mental and emotional struggles. Through and, your own experiences. Yeah, tro mm -hmm. yeah, totally. I, I mean, trauma in terms of just elevated cortisol levels, gaining 25 pounds when I moved up here, 
learning how to get it back off, all the while trying to still be super energetic and focused and disciplined, just getting to the gym um, was something that I really wanted to educate people on is that just because mainstream media, social media books are telling us, oh, we'll just, you know, just get back on the bandwagon. It's not really that fucking easy. And yeah. there, there is a sensitivity that needs to be taken with, with this industry that the variables for change are not just what you eat and how you exercise, but the mental component, you know, where, where is, you know, the clarity coming from? Where is the stimulus for change coming from? Um, because often more times, more times than not, you know, we can mentally, we can tell our, tell ourselves to do anything. Mm -hmm. I want to lose weight. I want to lose fat. I want to gain muscle. I want to change my physique. Yeah. I can, conceptually, I know how to do that, mm -hmm. but practically there is an emotional barrier. Yeah. Because we can talk ourselves out of doing something a thousand times before we actually do it, right? Well, and you refer to the fact that a lot of this, well, all of this is goal-based, which is highly mental, Yep. right? And so if you undergo trauma or you're thrown mentally for any number of reasons, it's it might very well, the goal might need to change, but when you're struggling to define that or you're sort of, you know, trying to tread emotional water, it's hard to do that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And the, <laughs> I think the over underlying, you know, message is stress is always going to exist. How we mitigate stress in our lives you know, is, is, yeah, again, is not really synonymous with this idea of just, well, just get out and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, that's, that's great. <laughs> high five, air high fives, but you know, we've, we've got to figure out as, as individuals, what works for us. And so I always encourage trainers to really sort of tap into the psychology behind fitness why we do the things that we do is more important than the what. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to touch on a couple of things, a couple of concepts that are important um, that you hit on. One is to reiterate the idea of cortisol and how cortisol is linked to the stress response. And that can be physical, which you talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can also be mental, it can be emotional. So, you know, when you perceive something that triggers a stress response, physiologically, the same thing happens, right? Like our, our body is incredibly smart, but in that sense, it doesn't communicate differently, biochemically speaking, right? Like you have this this cortisol level that, that fluctuates. And so I think that's a really important concept, especially when we get to the part where we're going to do some myth busting, um, <laughs> yeah. talking, talking with you about, you know, real life examples of questions that people have that you've trained because 
they're not alone, we're all gonna have very similar questions, right? So that concept is is important moving forward that, you know, talking about cortisol and how stress is intimately linked to, um, as you said, people's mental state and also what's happening metabolically, like anatomically, yep. right? So that's a super important concept that you introduced. And I wanted to highlight that because that will come into play later, right? Um, oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And everybody thinks cortisol is so bad. It's not bad. No, it's necessary. It, it is a thousand percent necessary. Yeah, absolutely. No. And the other thing too, you touched on this is different uh, workout strategies or different ways to design a workout. So you hit on hit, you hit on hurt. So could you, could you describe what those stand for? What does that mean so that it paints a clearer picture so that whoever is listening can, can follow, especially if they've never tried out those different types of workouts? Oh, absolutely. Well, one of the really cool things about being in the fitness industry is that there's so many genres of fitness and the two that really resonate with me are HIT, which stands for High Interval Intensity Training. Not to be confused with high or low impact. Mm -hmm. So that particular genre doesn't focus on repetitions and sets, which I can get into later, but interval training tests the body's limits during a duration of time and high intensity. So typically shorter, less than a minute intervals of timing. Compound complex movements are used or even, you know, cardiovascular moves, anaerobic moves. So it's not, it, 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 what I'm getting at is that it doesn't, it's, doesn't have to just be body weight hit, or it doesn't have to be barbell hit. It could be a combination of so many things. But what it does psychologically, one of the reasons why I really love it, is that it, we don't focus on shitty form. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if I'm giving a, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm in a classroom and I'm giving, you know, high, high volume, you know, sets and reps of 25s, I call them quarters. I am more interested in people executing and taking their time, however long that time is. The difference giving someone 25 reps in a minute is that psychologically, I've now created a burden. Mm -hmm. And it's a burden within the framework of the functionality of the movement. So can I get 25 push-ups done in a minute? Theoretically, yes. I can. Practically, yes. But will something go awry? 110% mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to eliminate, I want to eliminate the emotional factor of, I've just got to get it done because someone said so. And I want to focus more on the metabolic reaction of the challenge that I've put forth with a client. Hey, can you move at a, at a comfortable speed with good form and not give up? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what HIT to me is. That's what HIT is. And then not only that, but 
we are preserving the integrity of the movement because I'm not focusing on reps and sets, but I'm also creating challenges that are time-based. And time is what is against you. It's not another person. It's, it's not me. It's time. Can you move given these parameters with this movement pattern and execute it to the best of your ability? Yeah. You know? Yep. Most people can, which is great. And so then hurt is uh, high interval resistance training. So one of the, one of the best, um, one of the best like in industry standards for this as an example is, is CrossFit. CrossFit does this all the time with Metcons. And so again, given, given a time, time-based exercise, um, more so dynamic explosive movements, power moves, you know, and how, how quickly can you move your body with perfect form under, under duress, but having added resistance. Um, so again, the two, the two are, are quite similar, but actually kind of different depending on a, a trainer's definition of resistance. My definition of resistance is added resistance. So weighted vest, barbells, heavy dumbbells, um, because the body, I want the body to stay in more of an anaerobic state, forcing the, you know, clients to move slower during compound movements under time. Um, so those are the two, two genres that I really resonate with, but I can also, uh, I also do that in my own practice. I mean, I, I, I love it because I can work out at a short amount of time, but have, quicker results and not, not just results, meaning like fat loss, weight loss, but strength conditioning, aerobic conditioning, metabolic conditioning, um, at a faster rate versus doing something like bodybuilding, which would normally take me an hour, hour and a half because of loading and deloading weights from barbell, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and it's a heavier weight, you know, it's, it's not easy moving two, 300 pounds. It's a different mindset. Um, but again, going back to this whole notion of like why we do the things we do is based on a very specific fitness goal. And that's why certain genres of fitness really resonate with specific goal types, yep. you know, so a couple of a few things. Can you, for those listeners that have never heard the term compound movement, can you define that really quickly? And then secondly, mm -hmm. you hit on anaerobic, an anaerobic workout, which also refers to anaerobic metabolism mm -hmm. versus aerobic workout or aerobic metabolism. So can you describe the difference between those two things and relating it back to what you just described, what specifically about those different, um, those different workouts sort of trigger anaerobic versus an aerobic metabolic process? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So 
one of my one of my favorite phrases is kiss keep it simple stupid uh one of the one of the best examples of a compound movement compound meaning as many or the most you know muscles um especially as it pertains to soft tissue and in the joints right um the best example i can come up with off the top of my head is a push-up so we're working both anterior which is the front of the body as well as posterior which is the back side of our body compound when we come down to the floor in that push-up and there is the explosiveness of pushing up into plank it adds compound stress on multiple joints wrist elbows shoulders to be exact but also compound meaning in the sense that we are we're utilizing an infrastructure that has tons of muscles deep and superficial so deep muscles are those that connect tendon to bone superficial muscles are all the really pretty you know muscles aesthetically that we see when we get naked right so mm -hmm. um that's one of the best examples that I have of, of, of a compound movement. Um, <clears throat> and then going into the difference between aerobic and anaerobic. So aerobic by definition is with, with oxygen. So when we think about aerobic exercises, we think of those, those movements where we are requiring the body to consume more oxygen so thinking of running thinking of cycling swimming biking hiking um i didn't mean to rhyme those but uh <laughs> well done you can set it to a beat right so um aerobic is with with oxygen uh to keep it to the kiss uh simple stupid and then anaerobic is without the need of increased increased oxygen you know consumption not to say you shouldn't be breathing during your anaerobic workouts um, but in terms of metabolism it's so different it's so different and i i like to um you know i think talk about the difference in in like like body types right so when we think of if i can if i can illustrate a body type for you please well 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 imagine a marathon runner versus a well you know for all tense purposes let's let's talk about the bodybuilder right so in order in order to run we're moving the body we've already outlined the framework of what aerobic versus anaerobic um you know, workouts represent, but let's talk about body types. So a marathon runner, 26.2 miles, um, completely different, you know, metabolic rate in order to achieve that type of distance, energy consumption, fuel the gamut, right? Mm -hmm. Totally different than someone who is the quintessential bodybuilder, you know, meathead, we'll say. We'll, we'll keep this very stereotypical. Um, so I'm just saying. So here we categorize. Something. I know it's so, it's so <laughs> bad. It's so bad, but it's, but it, you know, it, it's not wrong. So in terms of aerobic, 
we've got our marathon runner, so completely different body type, usually more of, you know, an ectomorph, um, you know, type, lean, long, you know, muscle fibers, um, you know, because as, as a runner is moving a distance, mm-hmm. let's say 26.2, um, the, the body, the body is going to require, you know, less of one thing and more of another. It's going to require less nitrogen, you know, in those muscles, in the nucleus of the cell, you know, because functionally the body is, is, is doing something that is very repetitive. Okay. But requires a lot more oxygen. Okay. Because it is more cardiovascular. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we get to the bodybuilder, you know, you know, stereotypically those that don't do cardio because they have more muscle fibers and muscle tissue. The oxygen consumption is much different and the nitrogen consumption is increased. Okay. Why? Because the nucleus of the cells are under duress. They need to move a massive, massive amounts of weight in order to achieve a proper lift or uh, a compound complex movement, you know, because that's what their bodies, you know, mm-hmm. what that's basically what I'm saying is what's what they built. What, yeah. It's what they built. It's what they want. That, that's, those are their fitness goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I hope I explained that right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was great. That was great. So now that we've laid a base and we've talked about anaerobic versus aerobic, we've talked about some of the different options that you have based on the client's goals and you have the ability to design a plan for them, which is truly all-encompassing. It's not only the workouts, but you approach nutrition as, and I 100% agree with this, and I think research and medicine, and it's just leaning more and more towards this, the concept of nutrition being the idea that food is medicine. And I think that more and more that is being very widely accepted and nutritionists um, are being, you know, looped into this multidisciplinary care team, you know, Mm -hmm. when someone has something go wrong and, you know, they're in a hospital or seeing a doctor and it's and the actual food or their diet is being used as medicine. Okay. So let's go back to what we're talking about where you have a client and well, clients and all of them are going to come to you with very, very different goals. I can't even imagine some of the stuff you hear. (laughs) Um, and so it's all encompassing. You you are doing the movement, the nutrition, and you have to become a master communicator because you have to coach them through this all the while educating them so that um, they know the why mm-hmm. behind what they're doing. Um, and it also sounds like in a lot of ways you you're not a therapist, but you're absolutely touching on psyche you know their psyche and and their attachments and their struggles having to do with food exercise stress so when you get a new client and then we'll get into debunking some myths because you'll talk about some real life examples of what you have experienced working with with people when you approach a new client 
do you have like a set of questions that you always ask to sort of get a feel for their true goals? Or how, how do you approach that when you're just getting to know a client and that they are talking to you for the first time and asking for your expertise? Great questions. Um, yeah, so I have, um, I have a series of questions that I ask people, you know, always, I always start questions with, you know, why do you want this? you know, and what, what does it mean to you? And why are these goals so important? And what have you done in the past in order to achieve them? And, you know, depending on, depending on the client, I'm observing body language. I'm observing how, how open they are to communicating, how trusting they are. Um, with the whole process of, of change. And then, then, then we start talking about nutrition, which is always fun and going through sort of a Monday through Friday schedule and then a weekend schedule because nine times out of 10, those are going to be very different. Mm -hmm. And when we get down to sort of like question number 20 on a scale of one to 10, how badly do you want this change? If anybody's not giving me a 10, then they're, they're not ready for it. Yeah. And then it kind of proves my point about partnership. It's if someone's not willing to do the work, then I can't do my job to help them and to coach them. Um, and, you know, hiring trainers is something incredibly personal. It's, and so vulnerable. It's not only are you hiring someone for a specific skill set, but potentially a subject matter expert. But more often than not, the clients that really sort of dish it out like a therapy session in that first consultation are the ones who transform immeasurably. Um, so I think it's, you know, a, I love asking questions for people because at the very end, then I get to hold up the mirror mm -hmm. and say, well, this is, this is where you want to go. This is where you derailed. This is what you've done to get back on the tracks. So let's, let's help you get back on the track now. And right. here's how I can do it. But you've got to be willing to show up and do the work. Because it is work. It's one of the hardest things that people will ever go through is, is physical and emotional transformation. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no end point. It is continuous throughout our lives. That's right. Which makes it so, um, in a way, it's tangible and intangible. Um, but it's very... It, it's, it's very precious because it's so, it's so unbelievably vulnerable. I think, I think the fitness industry as a whole, health and wellness industry as a whole is, it, it's, it's, I mean, good God, we should all be therapists because, you know, it's a way to either get someone to release rage and anger in a holistic and positive way 
but it's also a way to increase confidence and power mm -hmm. and you know and also in that mirror yeah also in that mirror all the things that like wow I never knew I had that in me you know 100%. Like, like right when I thought I could not give more I gave it and sometimes that's even when I was at the best when I was at my best and that you know, and I, I have personally felt that I've, I've felt that when you were the coach and you were coaching and, um, and I'm coming at it from a place where I am an athlete. And so, you know, when I met you and you were training me, I already had sort of a, a baseline knowledge. So I would imagine that, you know, people coming to you that need to learn a lot about, you know, the, the nutrition piece, um, you know, and some of these concepts are sort of hard to wrap your head around, and we're going to really touch on them here in a little bit when we hit the first myth uh, that you're going to speak to and sort of debunk the whole thing. Um, but some of those concepts are hard to wrap your head around because you hear so much of the opposite in the media. And and so I would imagine that, you know, it's it's truly revolutionary for quite a few of your clients. Yeah, it's... um. It, it's hard not to, you know, when I think about the last 13 years, it, it's hard not to get emotional trying, you know, to recount some of these memories and these moments that I've had with clients because they are so, they're so precious, but also priceless. And had someone not hired me, I never would have experienced a, journeys quite like I have. You know, I just, I, I really do take it back to like there, this one size fits all notion does not work. It will never work. Um, and the, the disservice to the trainers and the educators in the industry who take this seriously and, you know, like you said, are like providing the tools and resources pertaining to education and continuing education, you know, we, the biggest struggle we have in the industry is that there's so much false information. Oh boy. And we'll touch on that later. It's like, Oh man. Yeah. Most of the time I'm, you know, you gotta, you gotta set people straight before you can move them forward and you gotta, you know, they're so hardwired that it, it sometimes it makes it very difficult yeah. My job is difficult, that is. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to, do you want to uh, debunk some myths? Yeah. Shall we go to part two? Yeah, let's go to part two. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to the Analytic Assist. Additional information can be found in the podcast description below. Please leave your rating and reviews below and share with your friends. If you have any topics in mind related to energy, science, innovation, and your own interest, please let me know at drshawnag at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at the Analytic Assist. Until our next investigation, goodbye for now.